Welcome to episode 7 of Straight Up Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Schaefer. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about a lot of NFL stuff related to the firing of Mike McCarthy in Green Bay, why I think Kirk Cousins isn't a franchise quarterback and why the Jets made the right choice. We'll also get into a little bit about the Kareem Hunt situation, uh, the college football playoff as well, whether the committee made the right choice going with Oklahoma over Georgia. Big trade in baseball, obviously, with Robinson Cano going to the Mets. We'll dive into that a little bit. And we'll also dive into some other topics as well. So I want to get started uh, with the Kareem Hunt situation. For those that don't know, when a video came out, TMZ posted it, of him basically assaulting a woman. Um, it looked, looked like in a, in a hotel hallway. Uh, it wasn't a good sight for the NFL or for Kareem Hunt. And this is why he should never play football again. Look, I understand he has a lot of talent. He's probably a top 10 running back in the NFL. But this is a really bad look for a team if you're looking to claim him. I mean, you know, this is similar to Ray Rice. I think Ray Rice was more on a national level than Kareem Hunt is. Um, You know, the Ray Rice situation was played out national media, put it all over the place. And, you know, obviously Ray Rice never played football after getting cut by Baltimore. And I think Kareem Hunt's going to end up the same way. I don't see Kareem Hunt playing football again. I don't think any team should should claim him at all whatsoever. Um, even though there are teams that need running backs like my own, the Jets need a running back, um, Kareem Hunt is a guy that you don't want on your team representing your team in the community. This is not something you want. So uh, for me, I, I'm just I, if I'm a team, if I'm an owner, I'm not putting a claim in. It's going to come with a lot of backlash. And people are saying, oh, well, Reuben Foster – you know, ends up getting claimed by Washington. Oh, why shouldn't someone claim Kareem Hunt? Does the video really the difference? The answer is Ruben Foster, if you remember in his case, the girl who came out and said that he sexually assaulted her, harassed her, whatever the charge was, she admitted that she lied. So Ruben Foster technically, you know, is innocent right now. So, you know, yes, he's with Washington. I don't know if he's ever going to play it down for them. I don't even know if he's played it down for them. And we'll see what happens going forward. Um, so I want to give my three takeaways from this week. My first takeaway is that Patrick Mahomes is the MVP, okay? I think it was down to him and Breeze, and Drew Breeze just played absolutely terrible against Dallas. I mean, it was, it was bad. You know, Dallas won 13-10. to 10. Dallas didn't look great, but the Saints looked worse than they did. I mean, it's like, it's like Sean Payton never coached a game. It's like Drew Breeze never played football. And, you know, give Dallas's defense a lot of credit. They fought. They hung in there. And, you know, Dallas is now 7-5. and five. The Saints fall to 10-2. and two. That's a big help for the Rams because now they're 11-1 and one and they can get home field advantage in the playoffs. So, obviously, that's a big help for the L.A. Rams. They should be thanking Dallas and sending them a Christmas gift. My second takeaway is that Pete Carroll should win Coach of the Year. Now, that's a pretty bold statement coming from, you know, somebody who's picked. Uh, I picked Sean McVay to win Coach of the Year. But when you look at what Pete Carroll's done in Seattle, you know, their team is 7-5. and five. They're in the top wild card spot. So that's the five seed in the, uh, in the NFC. They got rid of Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, Michael Bennett. They got rid of a lot of the noise that was created by their locker room. A lot of the talkers, a lot of the, a lot of the trash talkers, per se, I guess. And, you know, give Seattle credit. They're building this team around Russell Wilson. He has a somewhat capable offensive line. You know, they're starting to run the football better. Defensively, they've played really well. They beat a really bad 49ers team. 
uh, this week. And I think Seattle's going to make the playoffs. And I, anyone who expected Seattle to make the playoffs is crazy. You know, I thought they were going to be a six-win football team and, you know, have a top-ten draft pick. But give Pete Carroll credit. Um, he's done an outstanding job with this football team, and he absolutely should win Coach of the Year in my book. Because when you look at Sean McVay and his situation, he has a lot of talent. I think a Coach of the Year should be someone who doesn't have a lot of talent but puts the team in a position where they can succeed. And right now, for me, that's Pete Carroll. So Pete Carroll is my Coach of the Year. And my final takeaway is that Kirk Cousins is not a franchise quarterback. Kirk Cousins was a good quarterback in Washington. I'm glad the Jets didn't pay him what Minnesota did because now Minnesota's stuck with him. The Vikings are 6-5-1. and one. I think they're going to make the last spot in the wild card, but they're not going to get past the first round. Their running game hasn't been great. You know, Dalvin Cook, the running back out of Florida State, and Latavius Murray, who they signed from the Raiders, you know, they're good but they're not legitimate. Their defense is very good. And, you know, I'm just not sold on the Vikings and Kirk Cousins being a franchise quarterback. You know, against New England this week, Kirk Cousins averaged four yards a pass. What that tells me is basically he takes two steps and throws a slant route. I mean, Josh McCown's doing that for the Jets. So, you know, and Josh McCown's probably, what, five times cheaper than Kirk Cousins. So I'm glad the Jets didn't pay him. I think the Vikings will live with it and, you know, I don't think they're ever going to win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins as their quarterback. And Kirk Cousins got his money, so good for Kirk Cousins, but it's not good for the Vikings. Um, the other story in the NFL, obviously, was Mike McCarthy getting let go yesterday by the uh, Green Bay Packers. This firing was long overdue. Listen, Green Bay has not been good recently. Yes, they've made some playoff runs and whatever, but everybody expects Aaron Rodgers to be in the Super Bowl every year. I mean, the guy is such a talent, and, you know, unfortunately for him, it just didn't work out. Aaron Rodgers quit on the Packers. Their team quit on Mike McCarthy yesterday. They lost to an Arizona team who's, I think, now has two or three wins on the season. I mean, it's really embarrassing for Green Bay. I, I, I like the fact that they fired McCarthy, but I don't like the fact that they did it now. I would have at least given him the courtesy to do it at the end of the season. It helps your draft pick. And he's also won a Super Bowl for your franchise. And I think this was Aaron Rodgers saying, hey, listen, enough's enough. Let's move on. But I don't think all of it's Mike McCarthy's fault. I mean, you look at GM Ted Thompson. You know, he got rid of Jordy Nelson. That was Aaron Rodgers' favorite target. He got rid of Jared Cook, who was a big part of their success last year. He goes to the Raiders. They both go to the Raiders, Jared Cook and Jordy Nelson. You know, and right now their number one receiver is as uh, Adams. You know, he's okay, but he's not a number one receiver. Randall Cobb is is injury prone. You know, you got Jimmy Graham at tight end, but once again he broke he gets hurt and broke his hand. So they don't have a running game. They traded Ty Montgomery to Baltimore. Um, so I think this is just as much on Ted Thompson as it is on Mike McCarthy. Now I think a team would be very fortunate to hire Mike McCarthy. You know, a team like Cleveland. You know, maybe the Jets have consideration. I wouldn't hire him if I were the Jets, but I think you have to have at least the courtesy of interviewing him. And, uh, you know, as for the Jets coaching situation, uh, let's face it, Todd Bowles, I've said this time and time again, he's the worst coach in the NFL. I mean, this guy is as clueless as anyone. You know, he comes out yesterday in his press conference, he starts blaming the players for undisciplined penalties and, and all this stupid shenanigans. Guess what, dude? You're the coach. It's under your watch. You're responsible. 
bottom line, you know, and Todd Bowles will not be the head coach next season, whether or not they fire him before the season ends or they fire him, you know, after the season ends, he's not going to be around next season. So the Jets have to start searching. Obviously, Mike McCarthy is going to get interviewed. Uh, I think John Harbaugh in Baltimore will get an interview if the Ravens do decide to part ways with John Harbaugh. But the one guy who I mentioned in a previous podcast that I really want to take a look at is Matt Campbell. And Matt Campbell is the current head coach of the Iowa State Cyclones. And I just want to give a little background on Matt Campbell. I know a lot of people who are listening probably have no clue who Matt Campbell is. So Matt Campbell started his coaching career uh, at Bowling Green. Uh, then he went to Mount Union, which is in a smaller school, obviously. Uh, that's Division Three. Then he went back to Bowling Green, and then he became the head. His first head coaching job was with Toledo, and then now he's at Iowa State. So his first head coaching job at Toledo, he took the job in 2011, the end of the 2011 season, because his coach Tim Beckman took the job at Illinois. And Matt Campbell was, was actually the youngest coach in college football at the time. So he had to coach the bowl game. They were in the military bowl, and they beat Air Force. And Campbell, you know, actually got some offers. He actually got an offer to go to coach with Urban Meyer at Ohio State. He turned it down and signed on to be the head coach at Toledo. Now, for those of you who don't know, Toledo is in the MAC, the Mid-American Conference, um, also known as the MAC. It's a pretty small football conference, but it's a very competitive football conference. He went 35-15 and 15 there. And they were also 20th in the polls at one point. And they also beat a very good Arkansas team that season. So you got to give Matt Campbell credit there. So he turned around one program. Then he went to Iowa State, was named the head coach there in 2015. He replaced Paul Rhodes, who was just awful. He got fired. So Campbell signed a six-year deal there. Um, six, sorry, he signed a six-year extension in November of 2017. And all he's done since he's gone to Iowa State is won two Big 12 Coach of the Year awards. And, he's, and he's went, now he's going to go to his second bowl game this year. So, let, so when he first took on Iowa State, replacing a fired coach, he went 3-9. and nine. Obviously, you know, it takes time for coaches to get their players in. His second year, which was last year, he went 8-5. and five. Um, That was fourth in the Big 12, and they won the Liberty Bowl. This year, they're 8-4. And they're 6-3 and three in conference, which is tied for third. And they're going to the Alamo Bowl this year. And they're going to play Washington State, who lost in the Pac-12 championship game. So Iowa State has done really, really well this year and the last couple of years. Now, why do I bring his name up? First of all, when you're running an NFL team and you want a coach, you want somebody who develops players somebody who has good relationships with players, and gets the most out of his players. Okay, Matt Campbell has coached at two programs. Now, granted, they're not Alabama or Notre Dame or Clemson. You know, these are not big programs. But the fact of the matter is he got two programs on the map and ranked at one point during his tenure. Toledo was 20th, and Iowa State... Currently has been ranked most of the year. They're 24th right now. Currently they're 8-4. and four. 
uh, 24th overall. That's very, very good for Iowa State. I mean, the only teams ahead of them in the Big 12 are West Virginia, Texas, and Oklahoma. That's it. And he won Big 12 Coach of the Year again, so you got to give him credit. This is the guy I would hire. He's an offensive coach. He clearly got the most out of Iowa State, clearly got the most out of Toledo. You know, and the Jets have to get creative. I, I don't want to hire one of these veteran coaches who's just going to go down the same roads over and over again. You got to get creative. Look what the Rams did. They got creative. They hired Sean McVay, a coach that nobody knew. You could ask any Rams fan, any NFL fan, nobody knew who Sean McVay was. They took a chance. They put talent around him, and look what happened. They're 11 and 1. You know, he's chest bumping his players like mid game. He looks like he's genuinely having fun. And you have to give him credit. You have to give McVay credit. You also have to give the GM credit. And, you know, when you fire Todd Bowles now, it's on Mike McCagnin. You know, Matt Campbell, you know, you bring him in, he'll help with Sam Darnold, but you got to give him weapons. You got to get him receivers. You got to get him an offensive line. You know, you got to get him a defense that can get some stops. You know, these are things that you have to do. And the Jets are going to have a very high draft pick. If I'm the Jets, I'm trading backwards. I'm not taking a player. There's no generational player in this draft. And let's face it, the Jets have so many other holes. They have holes, like I mentioned, at receiver. You really have one receiver. That's Quincy Anula. You have a tight end in Chris Herndon. Let's face it, Robbie Anderson is trash. Jermaine Curse has quit the team, basically. You, know, you don't have any depth guys, really. Our Darius Stewart's a bust. You know, then, then you look at, you know... Your offensive line, none of those guys are great. You know, so you got to get him more weapons, Darnold. And, and that's really what you're in it for. I like the running game with Crowell and Powell, but if Powell is forced to retire because of his injury, you got to go get a running back. Um, so they have to be more creative, the Jets. And this is a big year for the big summer for them because there's $100 billion in cap space or whatever the number is. It's a big number. You can't waste your cap space. You have to use it and use it accordingly. So I think hiring an offensive coach from college could play a huge part. No, they're not getting Lincoln Riley, um, but they should get an offensive-minded coach. They've had four straight defensive-minded coaches, Herm Edwards, Eric Mangini, Rex Ryan, and Todd Bowles, and it clearly hasn't worked. So it's time to move on and go get an offensive coach. Newsflash to the Jets. So now I want to take a look at the playoff picture for each conference. Um, we'll start in the AFC. So obviously the number one team is Kansas City. Um, then you have New England uh, as the two. You got Houston, who's been red hot as the three. And then you got Pittsburgh at the four, and they seem to struggle right now. Your five right now is the L.A. Chargers, and six is Baltimore. And keep in mind, the Ravens are 3-0 since Joe Flacco's been injured. Lamar Jackson's 3-0. Joe Flacco was about to come back from injury, so what does John Harbaugh do there? That's an interesting scenario. Right now, I would say the teams in the mix are Miami, Indy, Denver, and Tennessee. I think Baltimore is the best team in that group. Um, I think Denver's got a great chance, you know, because they have a fairly easy schedule. Um, but I still think Baltimore is going to get in as the six. Um, so I think the AFC playoff picture is pretty much set. Uh, you know, Miami does own the tiebreaker over Indy and Denver, but I don't see Miami making that kind of a push. You know, Indianapolis losing yesterday to Jacksonville really hurts their chances, and Tennessee doesn't have any of the tiebreakers. So, um, 
personally, I think Baltimore is probably going to make it as the sixth team. Now, when you go to the NFC, things get a little more interesting. You know, obviously you have the LA Rams and the Saints and Chicago as the top three. Dallas is four. And right now, your five seed, your five seed right now is the Seattle Seahawks, who I think are going to stay there. And your sixth seed right now is Washington. Now, I think the teams that are in the mix are Washington, Minnesota, Carolina, and Philly. I think tonight's Monday Night Football game between the Redskins and the Eagles is an elimination game. Whoever loses that game, I think, is done. Um, Carolina's lost four straight. Cam Newton is really struggling. He just threw four picks against probably the, one of the worst teams in the league in Tampa Bay. I don't think they'll make it. So I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. I think they're going to make it as the six. And it'll be Vikings, Bears, and Seahawks, Cowboys in round one. That'll, those will be some good games. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But um, I do think that's what's going to happen. Right now, I, I, I think in the AFC, I really think it's going to be New England. Again, uh, the NFC, I think it's the Rams. You know, a rematch of a Super Bowl, I believe, that took place in 2000 and th- 2001. And between the Patriots and the Rams, which Adam Vinatieri had a game-winning field goal. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But a long way to go. Injuries can happen. Things can happen. So I want to shift gears a little bit now to college football. Obviously, the playoff announcement was yesterday. um, With Alabama being the one, Clemson two, Notre Dame three, and Oklahoma four. So the question is, did the committee get it right? The answer is no. Um... The reason the committee picked Oklahoma was because they won their conference championship and because they didn't want controversy. They wanted to avoid controversy by putting in a conference champion and avoiding the expansion question of going to eight teams, which I don't know why that hasn't happened yet. When you look at Georgia, their two losses were at LSU and in the SEC title game against Alabama. That, that game on, on Saturday was as tight as it gets. Kirby Smart made a huge mistake going for a fake punt on 4th and 11. The question is, if the game had gone to overtime, you know, does that change the dynamic? Um, I think Georgia should be in. I think Georgia's the second best team in the country. I really do. I really believe that. I think Georgia should have been in over Oklahoma. I don't care if Oklahoma, first of all, look at Oklahoma's schedule. Oklahoma lost one game. That was to Texas, okay? But Oklahoma, their schedule is soft. I mean, the Big 12 wasn't great this year. I mean, you had West Virginia, Texas, and Iowa State. Oklahoma State had a down year. Baylor was okay, you know? So I just, I didn't like it from Oklahoma's standpoint. And honestly, I think Georgia could give Bama more of a game than Oklahoma. And that's what you want. You want, when you have a college football playoff and that national of a stage... You want the best four teams. I think Georgia deserves to be in that conversation. They are, I think, the second best team, but of course they're not going to put them ahead of Clemson and Notre Dame. I think Bama's going to win the national championship. I think they blow out Oklahoma. I know Oklahoma's a great offense, but Oklahoma's defense can't stop anybody. So Alabama will win that game, I think, rather big. I think Clemson beats Notre Dame. I think that game will actually be pretty tight because those are two teams that played really soft schedules that have freshman quarterbacks. They're very similarly built. I just give the advantage to Clemson because they have Dabo Sweeney and Notre Dame is Brian Kelly. 
So I would take Clemson and Alabama to play again. I think Alabama wins it, you know, 45-35 over Clemson in the national championship game. Uh, eventually, I'm, I'm going to pick the big bowl games. Um, I want to give a shout-out to Dino Babers and my Syracuse Orange, so congratulations to them. They're 9-3 going to the Camping World Bowl against West Virginia, an old rival of ours. So hopefully Syracuse can go out and win that game. Of course, I'm going to pick Syracuse because I wouldn't be a good alum if I didn't. Um, so that's my little two cents on college football. Uh, I'm going to focus a little bit now on the, on, uh, the baseball trade that, that happened on, uh, yeah, it happened yesterday. Uh, Robinson Cano was traded to the Mets. Um, you know, the Mets were, were dealing from a point of emphasis, right? I mean, the Mets were in the driver's seat. If I'm the Mets, why do you want a washed-up second baseman who's coming off steroids? You know, Cano, Cano has, what, five years left on his deal? I think he probably has two years left in him, and then he's going to be three years of washed-up money. Um, yes, Diaz is a good pitcher, but he's only been good one season, and he's never pitched in a playoff game. So I'm not sure I'm okay with that. Plus, he also has injury history. I just, I don't know. Like, I, under, I understand the, the process of what the Mets were doing. They're trying to go for it while trying to rebuild. But I just, I don't see the Mets. I don't see, yes, are they better today than they were yesterday? Yes. Getting Cano will help them. But now you're forcing Jeremy McNeil to play third base. You have Todd Frazier signed for another season. Um, <coughs> so, you know, I'm just not sure. You know, if I like this trade, you also give up two really high prospects. One of them, uh, you know, who supposedly is supposed to be a superstar player um, in the years to come. I just don't like this move for the Mets. I, I like it for, like, maybe this year and the year after. But long term, it's definitely a win for Seattle. Um, so that's my, my thing on the Mets. I just I think they're trying to win now. If you're trying to win now, then I wouldn't trade Syndergaard, even though he threw his name out there. Um, if you're trying to get Corey Kluber, you know, obviously that's a big deal. Um, but you know, we'll see what the Mets have up their sleeve. There's a long way to go. Winter meetings are just coming around the corner and you know, this is where all the signings and all the big moves happen. So, um, I'm going to switch to the NBA now. Um, some news came out today that the Chicago Bulls fired Fred Hoiberg. This firing was also long overdue. Fred Hoiberg is a good coach, but he's a good college coach. He's not a good NBA coach. You know, a lot of the veteran guys didn't really like him. Early on, remember when Jimmy Butler was there, Joe Kim Noah was there, Derek Rose. They didn't really like Fred Hoiberg. They were Tom Thibodeau's guys. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So, so Chicago obviously is going to have an interim coach. Jim Boylan will coach out the year. I think there's two coaching candidates, by the way, who should get a look in the NBA next season. That's Jerry Stackhouse and Ed Cooley. Jerry Stackhouse obviously played for North Carolina, played for the Pistons. Um, you know, got, was interviewed by the Knicks for their head coaching job, he led the 905 Raptors to a G League title. Obviously, he knows how to develop players. Um, the question is, can he do it on the NBA levels? Um, I think he can. He seems like a tough-minded guy. At least that's what he was as a player. So I, I think it makes sense for a rebuilding team to hire him. Um, the other guy is Ed Cooley. Ed Cooley's the head coach of Providence. You know, he's exceeded all expectations there. I mean, he's done a tremendous job there. He gets a lot out of his players. He yells. He goes hard at his players. He's the kind of guy who I could see a fan base getting behind. You know, a passionate coach. Kind of like David Fisdale in a way. Tough-minded, player development. I think he'd be a really good hire for an NBA team. I just don't know if he's going to leave Providence. Um, 
So now I'm going to focus on two of the local teams, two of the New York teams. When I mean local, I mean New York teams. Uh, the first one is the Knicks. Now, the Knicks beat Milwaukee Saturday night. Great game if you didn't watch it. You know, Kevin Knox had a career night. He had 26 points. Manuel Moutier had 28, played probably his best game of his career. But there was one noticeable thing, and that was that Frank Nilakina did not play. And people have come out and said, oh, you know, Frank's not playing because, you know, the Knicks are trying to win now. Please, that's a load of crap. Uh, first of all, the Knicks are not trying to win now. They can't. They don't have the talent. Okay, they don't have the talent to win now. Uh, you're either a Frank lover or a Frank hater. I'm a Frank hater. I will be the first to admit that. The only reason I love Frank is because he loves Paris Saint-Germain just like I do. Um, but other than that, Frank Nilakina is not a good offensive player. Um, I don't even know if he's a point guard. I, th I think right now Frank's ceiling is 3 and D. You know, I think he's a good wing that can defend at a high level, which I know he's capable of doing. But he has to be able to shoot threes. And his shooting percentage this year has just been nothing short of dreadful. Um, offensively, he's really struggled the last few games. I believe it's five of the last seven games he's put up zeros in terms of his uh, points per game. So he's really, really struggled offensively this year. And if you look at his, his field goal, his shooting numbers this year, so his field goal percentage overall is 33%. That's not good. An NBA player is not going to succeed shooting 33%. He's shooting 26% from three. That's way below an NBA player average. Um, you know, he, he's just really struggling. Like right now he's averaging, sorry, uh, six points, uh, three assists, two rebounds. Last year, he averaged six points, two rebounds, and three assists. So it's the numbers are the same. And I'm not seeing any progress from him. And it's, it's a problem. And the rumor is now that there are teams interested in trading for him. And I think the Knicks would be doing him a good by moving him out, um, with, especially with Courtney Lee coming back. I just don't see the room for him right now in the rotation. Um, as much as people want to play him. I know Trey Burke is out with injury. And I know people are saying, oh, maybe Frank will get a chance to play then. Alonzo Trier can play point guard. I know he's not an ideal point guard. He's more of an undersized two. But Alonzo Trier is better than Frank Nilakina. I mean, let's just be honest about it for a second. Um, I think right now, if you look at the Knicks rotation, when they're healthy, obviously without Porzingis, it's Moutier, uh, Hardaway Jr., then I would go Courtney Lee at the three if he's healthy, Noah Vonley at the four, and then Ennis Canner at the five. Um, then you got Trey Burke when he's healthy. He'll be the backup point guard. Alonzo True at the two. Uh, Damian Dotson at the three. Kevin Knox at the four. And Mitchell Robinson at the five. So that leaves out Mario Hazonia, uh, Frank Nilakina, and Lance Thomas. Obviously, Lance Thomas is out with a knee injury. So without Trey Burke... I would move Alonzo Trier to point. I'd put Dotson at the two. And I would probably go with Mario Hazonia at the three. Just because offensively, I think he provides a little more. And you have enough defensive guys out there in Dotson and Robinson. Um, Hazonia just overall is a better player than Frank. I don't think either one of them are good players by any means necessary. Um, but I just feel right now Hazonia, you know, he had his little moment where he dunked on Giannis and you know, that was great. And that's probably going to be his only moment the whole season. Um, 
But let's face it, Frank's done in New York. I mean, he's done. He just he has not scored the ball well. He's not a good playmaker. You know, he has flashes, but he's just he's not consistent. And, you know, people say, oh, well, Kevin Knox is a rookie and, you know, he's younger than Frank. Why are we giving him time and not Frank? Well, because Kevin Knox has shown more flashes. Kevin Knox scored 26 in the game against probably the best player in the league in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Frank Nilakina scored 16 points against Golden State, hasn't scored 16 points in a game. I don't even think he scored double digits since that game. So, you know, Frank looks lost. And Fisdale has always said that he's going to come back around, so I know I'm going to see Frank eventually. But I, I just don't see it working out. I think the Knicks will try to move him. There's going to be a lot of interest in him. Orlando, Cleveland, Phoenix, you know, Memphis. There's going to be teams that are going to show interest in him. The Knicks are going to hold out for a first-round pick. I don't think they're going to get it. They'll end up getting a second-round pick and maybe a change of scenery player, and they'll call it a day. Um, you know, because clearly Emmanuel Moody has outplayed him. Trey Burke has outplayed him. Trier, Dotson, all these guys have outplayed him. And Courtney Lee are not just going to sit. I mean, Courtney Lee's a good NBA player. You know, the Knicks are trying to showcase him also to try to move at the deadline. So that's my thoughts on Frank. I know there's going to be people out there that aren't going to like it, but that's just my thoughts on Frank. I'm sure there's people that would say, oh, we should play Nilakina over, you know, over Courtney Lee. That's, go ahead and try to make that argument. It's not going to work. The last team I want to talk about is the Rangers, and then we'll wrap this up. Um, the Rangers have lost five of their last six games. Obviously, they're struggling after a 9-1-1 stretch. Listen, the Rangers are not a playoff team, okay? They have a goaltender who is saving them every single night. They have maybe three good defensemen. You know, Mark Stahl's been their most consistent defenseman, which is sad to say for the Rangers. You know, Neil Pionk who has been their best right-handed defenseman, and he was an undrafted player. So, uh, you know, good for him. You know, Freddie Clayson's done a really nice job. He's probably been the most underrated signing in the entire offseason. But I've been really disappointed in Brady Shea and Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, you know, Kevin Shattenkirk was brought here to, to produce on the power play and to, you know, kind of be a stopgap top pair defenseman until the Rangers can find a guy. Well, now he's lucky if he's on the second pair because he defensively, he is a disaster in his own end offensively, you know, we know what he's capable of. And I know the injury played a part early on. And, you know, unfortunately for him, it just it hasn't worked out here. Um, you know, I didn't like the signing from the beginning. I was not a fan of him signing here. I, you know, after watching him in Washington and St. Louis, I just thought at best he was a second-paired defenseman with offensive talent. He's not good in his own end. Let's face it, he's terrible in his own end. You know, and the Rangers have a lot of those guys right now that are bad in their own end. I could make the case that Mark Stahl is the best defenseman in his own end. Um, and that's really sad. Um, as for Brady Shea, you know, he's in the first year of a six-year deal. You know, guys are going to struggle first years of long-term contracts because they're counting their dollars and they feel like they need to do more than what they're being paid to do. Brady Shea is going to be fine. I don't expect the Rangers to trade him. They shouldn't trade him. I think this year is probably going to be a rough one for him. I think he'll be better next year. And then we can evaluate next year as to where he is and where his game is. Um, as for Brendan Smith, he's a disaster. I mean, that contract was another bad move that I would not have done. I understand you traded a second and a third round pick for him and you felt like you had to sign him. He sucks. Okay, the guy takes really bad penalties. I mean, that penalty against Winnipeg on Sunday night was awful. 
You take a you're up three nothing. You take a cross checking penalty and you give a top five power play in the league a chance to score and get momentum. And that's exactly what happened. Mark Scheifele puts it right through Lundqvist. Then Winnipeg goes on to win the game. Brendan Smith should not be seeing the ice anytime soon. I'd rather see Brady Shea struggle than see Brendan Smith in the game. That's how much I can't stand Brendan Smith. You know, Brendan Smith is just not good. Kevin Shattenkirk has been disappointing. Brady Shea's been disappointing. I think the only guys who really have been capable are Clayson, Stahl, and Pionk. I think D'Angelo's been, you know, okay for the most part. He's had his ups and downs, but he's young, and, you know, he'll learn. And um, the Rangers, right now, they're in crisis mode. You know, losing 5 of 6 after winning 9 of 11. You know, are they a playoff team? I don't think so. I think they're going to end up selling guys at the deadline. Zuccarello's going to end up leaving. Kevin Hayes is very interesting. You know, I think they're going to have a tough case there. I would re-sign him, but that's a very tough decision to make. I'm glad I'm not Jeff Gordon doing that because um, that's very hard because you're probably going to get some package, some trade packages that could be, you know, a possi- possibly, you know, intriguing. Um, but I don't think getting a, a late first-round pick for a player, you know, is worth it. You know, Kevin Hayes, at least I can re-sign. He's young. You can sign to a five, six-year deal for six mil and call it a day. Um, I just, I don't see Zuccarello here long-term. I'd like to, but I don't, um, you know, but the Rangers are really struggling right now and they, they they have to find some life. It's good. They have five days off. They're off till Saturday. So that'll help, you know, they get some practice time. Maybe they get healthy a little bit. Um, but I think the bottom line is Brendan Smith should not be playing anytime soon. You know, Brendan Smith is, is done after the season. They're going to buy him out. And we'll see what happens with the Rangers going forward. But David Quinn has done a really nice job here as the head coach. And, you know, I give him a lot of credit. He got this team after a slow start, got them doing really well. Now he's going to get tested again after losing five of six. So uh, that's episode seven. Um, Episode eight will come at you real soon. I'm sorry there's been gaps in between the podcasts. I've been pretty busy doing other things. Um, I'll try to get these out as quick as possible. So I apologize in advance. Um, hope you guys enjoy the episode. You can listen to it on, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Schaefenbake. That's at F-C-H-A-E-F-F-N-B-A-K-E. My Instagram is also the same. I'm Andrew Schaefer, and this is Straight Up Sports.